0: You're listening to the Weekly Message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicumc.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicumc.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. So today we're in that last the Old Testament. This is the last week with the Minor Prophets. I want to pray with you, Lord Jesus, as we open this book together. I am asking in Jesus' name that you give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you and a heart to receive everything you've got for us, Lord. Everything you've got for us. We don't want to miss anything, God. We don't want to miss it. So be present, Lord, in the words that I say and be present by your inspiration. Speak words I can't think to say. Directly into hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're going to need your Bible, something to write on, something to write with. We've got lots of notes to take today. We're going to be in Malachi, so if you flip to the first book of the New Testament and go back a page, you'll be there. Um, I stand amazed at how relevant these books have been in this season, and just about every week we have taken a minute at the beginning of the message to rehearse the lessons learned And as we've gone through all of these books of the Old, I mean, these minor prophets of the Old Testament. So, here are the highlights. If you're a note taker, you need to take notes quick because I'm going to go through all uh, seven that we've done already and then hit on number eight. Hosea reminds us that even in the midst of our rebellion, God's love is unfailing. Even in the midst of our rebellion, God's love is unfailing. Joel teaches us how to lament, that there's a biblical place for setting aside uh, an analysis and simply being wrecked before God so he can shape our pain around his truth. Amos teaches us what biblical justice looks like and that justice is connected to worship. Remember that, we'll come back to it. Justice is connected to worship. Zechariah gives us our why. We pursue holiness. Why? So we can be people through whom God can fulfill his promises. Jonah challenges us to wrestle with God's heart for the whole world. On our night of prayer and repentance, um, we dipped into Obadiah. So if you weren't here, you missed it. But Obadiah is just one chapter long. It's actually just verses. There's no chapter to it. Um, And and he reminds us of a word we learned in Jonah, that gloating over someone else's misery is arrogance and sin. You should not have done that, Obadiah tells us. Worth remembering. And Micah uh, poetically teaches us what God is asking of us, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And last week, Mike helped us hear the heart of Habakkuk, which is really to hear the heart of God. And he helped us to soak in the love of God, something we desperately need. is a perfect segue into today's uh, message or today's book, which is Malachi. We end the series today, Where the Old Testament Ends, with a book that gives us an honest conversation between God and his people. And the big message of Malachi for us is one word, write it down, Return. That's the big message of Malachi. Return. Malachi was written 400 years before Jesus walked, about 400 years before Jesus walked the earth. And this book begins like all the other books the Word of the Lord to Israel through, and the prophet in this case is Malachi. His name means messenger which is something we've been discovering in these prophetic books, that a lot of these prophets' names actually mean something. Even the names of these prophets have been chosen with a message in mind. God doesn't waste a word. Amen? He doesn't waste a word. So I'm going to take our little rabbit chase for just a second. This is to say that every prophetic word is important. And God has chosen and appointed people very intentionally to move his message forward. And what God was doing in four to 500 BC, God is still doing today. He is choosing and appointing people to move his message forward. And listen, if you are one of his people, then you should be aware that God intends for your life to be shaped so that you are ready to welcome and advance the kingdom of God. What I just said is at the heart of Malachi's message. It is a message about getting ourselves personally, spiritually ready. So in Malachi, God is speaking to 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 Israel about a hundred years after they've returned to exile in Babylon. About a hundred years after they've returned to exile in Babylon. They have been settled people for a hundred years. And in that time, they have lost a lot, spiritually speaking. They've lost the wonder, the awe, the worship. They've they've forgotten the character of God and the holiness to which they've been called. They have been out of practice for so long, in fact, that they don't even know what they don't know anymore. And that is dangerous. That can be so spiritually dangerous. I know I've told this story before, but... um, I'm getting older, so I can claim I don't remember. I'm going to tell you the story again. About the time when my, I had a growing-up friend, you know, my growing-up years, who um, she had one leg that was shorter than the other. She, she rolled up one pants leg... And, and always, just one or two flips on the bottom of one pants leg. And for the rest of us, it was really obvious why she was doing that. She's, she obviously had the curvature of the spine, and it caused her to, you know, so one leg felt shorter than the other. And, and if she hadn't rolled up that one pants leg, she would have tripped her over her clothes as she was walking. At some point along the way, back in my day, they used to test you for scoliosis. Did they still do that in school? Back in my day, they did. Huh? They do, okay, so they tested you in school for scoliosis, and I remember we got tested that day, and, and they told my friend she had a significant curvature of the spine, told her parents. She had major surgery, and then she had to wear a brace after that, and had treatment after that for a long time. But the part of that whole very hard thing for my friend that was most memorable to me was that when she was first told she had an issue, severe curvature, she was stunned. Her parents were stunned. Nobody in her family seemed to have noticed that she was built like that, even though she had that practice of rolling up one pants leg, just one or two flips. And I remember sometime after that, just hearing her with a little bit of hurt in her voice, you know, saying to some of us, why didn't you tell me? And we were like, you know, I rolled your pants leg up. Well, we figured you knew. And she said, I just thought everybody rolled a pants leg up. You know, that pants just weren't made for everybody exactly the same way, and I just needed one pants later rolled up. She didn't know. Again, the moral of her story is that it really is true that you don't know what you don't know about yourself. It is very possible that we, sitting in this room, hearing this message today, we don't know what is most true about us. And sometimes we don't know the good stuff. That is true about us. Sometimes we really don't know the stuff we need to be changing about us. In the midst, in the most charitable reading of Malachi, we can say at least that much about the people of Israel. They didn't know what they didn't know, and it hurt them. So a good chunk of Malachi, the first three chapters and a conversation between God and the out of reach people of Israel, you, you hear this pattern in those first three chapters. God says some things that are true, and the people respond with a kind of cluelessness that is almost sad. And then God gives them evidence for what he's just said, so they can't ignore it. And I want to walk you through these Kind of pairings, these comments and questions, and it starts right in chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. And they answer, But how have you loved us? And the Israelites, you know, they're like, I don't get it. And then God demonstrates for them all the ways. That he has shown a preference for his people, and his his response is almost incredulous. He says, how can you even say, I haven't loved you? The descendants of Jacob have been given such abundance, compared even with the descendants of Esau. Where is the honor due me as your loving father? That's God's first complaint. You have not received my love. You should write that down. I have loved you. You have not received my love. And because the heart of the people reflects the heart of the spiritual leader, God goes after the spiritual leaders next, the priests. Verse 6, "Issue you priests, he says, Issue you priests who show contempt for my name. And the priests go, well, how have we shown contempt for your name? God says this in how you approach the altar and the the sacrifice. You make do with diseased animals and impure offerings as if I cannot tell the difference. He even says, you wouldn't do that for a political official, for a government worker. You wouldn't do that, but for me, you bring the leftovers. And then again, chapter 2, verse 13, God says, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings, which we've just discussed, or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And the people are like, right? Why don't you accept our worship? And God says, your life, your life is meant To be a sacrifice of praise. And you spend it proving your unfaithfulness. Rather than being faithful to the wife of your youth. You go off and you you bring pagan wives into your home. And then they bring their pagan culture into into your home with them. I hate when you do this, he says. And he doesn't let up. He stays after them. Verse chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied? How have we wearied you? They ask. This is by cutting corners on justice and on the definitions of good and evil and then wondering where I am when injustice comes into your own house. And then he comes back to them again in chapter 3, verse 8, to talk about their complete lack of sacrifice. These are people who have decided to be comfortable and to have no sacrifice in their lives. And, and so he comes back to them, he says, "Well, a mere mortal rob God? And yet, you rob me. And they ask, how are we robbing you? And here, God gets explicit, so they don't miss it. He says, "In your tithes and offerings— This is chapter 3, verse 9. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And side note here, a tithe, in biblical terms, is 10%, a simple 10%, God is asking for his house. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not throw up in the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be room enough to store it. It's the only time in Scripture we're told to test God, and it comes at the point of our giving. How interesting. Tim Mackey says, I want you to write this down. The generosity of a believer is the greatest revelation of what it means to trust the gospel. The generosity of a believer is the greatest revelation of what it means to trust the gospel. So again, in chapter 3, verse 13, You've said terrible things about me, says the Lord. What do you mean? What have we said against you? Well, you said... What have we gained by serving God? What good does it do to obey his commands? From now on, we will call arrogant people blessed and let evil people get rich. I want you to hear that. Arrogance and greed are antithetical to the kingdom of God. In Malachi, after this last exchange between God and the people, there's an, an abrupt change in the conversation. God pictures a way through for his people. God, who is able to see what we cannot see. <laughs> he says, you know, I can see a path through you. I can see what it will be or what it can be. And so he gives us this picture. He, he says, those who fear the Lord, they will stop and they will take stock of what they've been doing, and God will show mercy on them. And then healing will come, he says. For those who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The ultimate healing will come, God says, when the people stop and listen. Peter Story, pastor in South Africa, says healing begins to happen healing begins to happen when we are part of a community that listens to our tears this is malachi's point the people of god have lost their heart for worship they're cutting corners on their sacrifices and they've lost their heart for mercy they've lost the ability the ability to listen for the tears In a hundred years of being at home, they've become comfortable and self-serving. But the book closes with a vision of hope. A future full of hope. About 400 years before John the Baptist shows up, Malachi prophesies his coming. This isn't just a good guess about the Elijah mentioned in that last paragraph of Malachi. It's confirmed in the Gospels by Jesus and by an angel of the Lord, both of whom quote these final verses of Malachi. Malachi ushers in the new. John will come with a message about returning. John will say, repent, which is to turn. And believe. The kingdom of heaven is right here. It is near. So do you remember the word from Malachi for us? Return. And we find it actually more explicitly named for us in a question that I skipped over. So we need to go back to it. Go back to chapter 3, verse 6. Malachi 3, 6. God says, I want to read this to you. Um, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? That's a powerful question, isn't it? That seems so prophetic and timeless and current. It is a powerful question for us, and it reveals a powerful principle. These people in an exile of their own making, handed over to their enemies because of their own disobedience, have finally returned home, but not really. Because their bodies had returned, but their obedience had not. God has just told them, chapter 3, verse 5, just one verse before this, I will come and put you on trial, and I, I will be quick to testify against all manner of weirdness among you, sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners of you of justice. I will come and judge all these people who do all these things, but do not fear me who do all these things but do not fear God. In other words, you returned to your land and your structures and your lives, but not to me. You returned to your land, but not to the kingdom. You returned to your old life, but not to my heart. Friends, it's not that we return, but how we return. And that's a word. That's a word. I've been thinking about it so much lately. As we begin to come back from this strange exile that we have been in now seven months, seven full months, how we come back is everything. I have to tell you, I am committed to rebuilding this community in a way that exposes the kingdom of God, that exposes the heart of God differently than what we had before, that, that washes the distance and distrust in love, that washes it in love and revives our community so that the goodness of God is exposed I am more committed than ever to being a healing community, a healing church, and a safe place for people in the margins, a place where we hungrily go after the heart of God, where we press in to see his kingdom come. We we, we can't return the way we left. We just can't. I hear this in Malachi. I hear this is a word from us in Malachi. You know, when I take all these questions that I find in Malachi and I add them to the words of healing and future hope that I find in those last words of the Old Testament, you know where I find myself? I find myself right in the center of the heart of God and right in the center of Matthew chapter 25. So I want you to put your finger in Malachi chapter 4, And then flip over to Matthew 25. It's the parable about the end of time. Starts in verse 35. I'm going to paraphrase the first five verses for you, but I want you to listen to what Jesus said about how we will be judged. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes again, he'll say to some, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we do these things for you? And the king will reply, I tell you, whenever you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. That is such good news. It's in verse 41. He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's harsh. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. And they will answer in this answer that sounds so much like Malachi Lord, what are you saying? When? When did, you, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick in prison? When did we not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you didn't do it for me. And then it will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus is talking here to people who don't know what they don't know. They have assumed a righteousness that is not rooted in kingdom values, or they have assumed a set of values that Jesus never told them to assume. Listen, They have the same spiritual posture as the Israelites. A hundred years out of exile, their bodies have come home, but their hearts haven't. It isn't that we return; it's how we return. The people of Jesus—they thought the end would look like some kind of political overthrow. That's the term that they used. They, and look at Acts chapter 1. When will you restore the kingdom to Israel, they said. That's the return they were looking for. And that's the attitude they displayed. It was a it was a political attitude. Even his followers were assuming Jesus' ultimate victory and return would be political in nature, that it would show up as political reform. But listen, according to both Malachi and Jesus, the ultimate victory will go forever far beyond political rule and reign. It will look less like some kind of disembodied reform and more like a very personal and accountable justice and mercy that's painted for us in Matthew chapter 25. Justice and mercy must roll out of my life. True righteousness will be proven by what I do for the least of these. Don Harris said this to me this morning. It is a prophetic word. Righteousness always speaks into relationship. And in my full and holy sacrifice and in my tears for those who need healing, the kingdom comes. That's how it comes. Oswald Chambers says this. You cannot do anything for your salvation, but you must do something to manifest it. You must work out what God has worked in. Rise to the occasion. Do the thing. It doesn't matter how it hurts, as long as it gives God the chance to manifest himself in your mortal flesh. Listen, friends. This is is Chambers. We are here to submit to his will so that he may work through us what he wants. When we realize this, he will make us broken bread and poured out wine to feed and nourish others. Mm. That's how the kingdom comes. Jesus says so. He says and in Matthew twenty-four twenty five, basically over and over, this is how the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Malachi is a prequel to the proclamation of Jesus. He says it in this way, Malachi four two. Flip back for those who revere my name who return with their whole hearts, who don't just show up, but show up ready. The Son of Righteousness will will rise with healing in his wings, and you will be free, leaping like calves released from the stall. You will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. The NLT of that says, "The Lord of Heaven's Armies, Lord, make us ready for the ultimate fulfillment of Your promises. Lord, make our hearts ready. We we don't want to just we don't want to just come back. We want to to return in a way that pleases and honors You. How, Lord, we're asking You. How do we return so that?" You're glorified. Show us what we don't know about ourselves that leads to death. Give us the courage, God. Give us the courage to return well. See, I am amazed by the regularity with which things come and go. You know, when things we assume are a bedrock part of our culture, just poof, they're gone. Like blockbuster records. Or the AMP. Yeah, I thought those things would last forever. I'm amazed at the amount of effort that goes into building things that will eventually die. Friends of mine were the ones who built the whole Kroger complex up here in Evans. Um, they built a lot of them across the country, and every once in a while, I'll remind Bill that I'm just five minutes away from the Kroger that he built in Evans, and one time I was saying that to him, and his wife Phyllis said to me, she said, oh, that's still there. She said, she said as they go around the country, they have noticed that the things they built in the 70s and the 80s, those things are gone. I was so stunned to think, can you imagine what that must feel like to drive past something you poured heart and soul into, only to see it become irrelevant in your own lifetime?" And do you know that one day all the Starbucks will be gone? It's already happening in Australia. There were 80, something like 80 Starbucks at one time. Every single Starbucks is gone from Australia. Turns out Australians don't like Starbucks coffee. All the Targets will be gone and a lot of other things that you and I assume are going to last long past us, at least. Do you know that one day they will teach about something ancient called Republicans and Democrats that children will only read about in the history books, or whatever they call books at that time? Do you realize that? And while all these things are dying, people will still be hearing about Jesus. And one day, and and the word tells us, Jesus will continue to be shared. The name of Jesus will continue to be shared. And one day, every single person will have heard the name of Jesus. And then it says, and then the end will come. And those who revere revere my name, Malachi tells us, those who revere my name will go leaping like calves from a stall. The coming of Jesus Christ, friends, ought to change everything. Everything. Because it is the only thing that will last. And so it ought to change how we live. It ought to change how we sacrifice and for what we sacrifice. Our lives are meant to be a sacrifice of praise. And it should change how we invest our money, and it should change how we talk to each other. Your relationship with Jesus Christ ought to change your conversation. And it should change how we care for the least of these. And yes, it ought to change how we return. And it ought to change how we pray. Because Jesus Because Jesus will last when all of this is gone. This this warehouse will be gone in a generation or two. One tornado. I say all the time, take it all, Jesus. Don't take half of it. Take it all if you're going to take it. Take it all. The word of the Lord stands forever. The word of the Lord is worth everything. So I invite you to pray for the kingdom to come using the very words of our Lord. Pray with me, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicumc.org for more information. May God bless your day.